The sermon text for today is Genesis 10, and because of the length of it, we will not have an Old Test- a New Testament reading today. Uh, so please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 10, and we will read it in its entirety. Would you hear now the Word of God, which is inspired by God and is profitable for our instruction? Genesis 10, verse 1. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Ipeth, and Togamah. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these the coastland peoples spread to their lands, each with his own language, by their clans and their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Hivala, Sabta, Rama, and Sabteca. The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kelna, in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kalha, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kalha. That is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lahabim, Neftuhim, Parthrusim, Kasluhim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtorim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, and Amorites, the Gergeshites, the Hivatites, the Archetites, the Sinites, the Arvadites, the Zemorites, and the Hemathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Ashur, Arpikshad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hol, Gether, and Mash. Arpikshad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. And his brother's name was Joktin. Joktin fathered Almadad. Shelef, Azar, Maveth, Jera, Hadram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimel, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Safar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, 
according to their genealogies in their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May the Lord help us now as we seek to understand it and apply it to our lives today. It's a lot of work to read that passage. (laughs) It was more difficult than I thought it was going to be, actually. Uh, Brothers and sisters, uh, one of the things for which I am grateful uh, is to have the privilege of pastoring a church that is eager to hear God's word proclaimed in its entirety. Not all pastors have that privilege. I'm aware of that. And I would urge you to never allow that hunger for God's word to fade. I think you would agree that there are some passages of Scripture that are more exciting and obviously applicable than others. Uh, But what is our belief? It is that According to 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so our practice is to teach through the Scriptures in their entirety. I would imagine that to many the portions of Scripture that seem least applicable are the ones that contain genealogies. Perhaps you've had the experience of opening your Bibles uh, to, 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 to do your scripture reading for the day, assuming you're reading a Bible, following a Bible reading plan, um, only to see a long list of names. And I think many, uh, when they see that, feel as if there is nothing for them in that text. And while I understand that sentiment, I do hope to change your mind a bit today. Um, I'm willing to admit that the genealogies uh, here in the book of Genesis Uh, They apply to us in a different way than, let's say, for example, Colossians 3, 5 through 10 applies. Um, But but they still apply to us. They are still important. Uh, The application of a passage like Colossians 3, 5 through 10, I'm just picking one at random. uh, It's obvious. It it lays there on the surface. It's easy to pick up uh, for the reader just to pick up and to to apply. Listen to Colossians 3, 5 through 10. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, and these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, malice, wrath, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This text speaks in a most direct way as to how we are to live in Christ Jesus. It's easy to understand. The meaning is clear. The application is direct. You come away from it immediately knowing what you are to do. It is not that passages like Genesis 10, which I just struggled to read, it's not that they are less meaningful, and neither are they less applicable. But I think two things need to be said. One, it is true that more work is required to mine texts like Genesis 10 when compared to texts like the one that I have just read from the book of Colossians, if we are to understand its meaning and make application. It is true, hard mental and spiritual spade work is required here to mine these texts. The reader must dig a little to reap the rewards and profit from a passage of Scripture like this one. And two, the application drawn from texts like Genesis 10 is different from the kind of application that is drawn from texts like Colossians 3, 5 through 10. After considering the Colossians passage, uh, the reader is most naturally urged to do something. Uh, Do something. In particular, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, etc., etc. But after considering the list of names, peoples, and places in Genesis 10, 
the reader is most naturally urged to see and to understand something. The application is simply different. It has more to do with what we are to believe than with what we are to do. But friends, application that begins with the words see or understand is not less important than application that begins with the word do. In fact, seeing and understanding the message of the Bible is more foundational than doing what the Bible says. Uh, my objective, I'll, to, to be very direct about this, as a minister of the gospel, is not primarily to convince you to do this or that, but it is to convince you to believe something. My primary objective as a minister of the gospel is not to make you a better person, in other words, but to convince you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and to understand that by believing in Him, you have life in His name, John 20, 31. And after urging you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, then my objective is to urge you to obey Him, to do that which is pleasing to Him. And so, brothers and sisters, today I hope to convince you, if you're not convinced already, that these lists of names that appear in the Scriptures from time to time are of great importance. They are of great importance, for they tell the story of the accomplishment of our salvation. I hope you are beginning to understand that God did not accomplish our salvation through a Christ who appeared out of the blue one day. Instead, God provided salvation for us by first promising that He would. He promised that a victorious Savior would one day appear. He would appear not by dropping from the sky without warning, but in fulfillment to promises previously made. The Savior would in due time come from amongst the offspring of Eve. This we have learned already in the book of Genesis. The accomplishment of our salvation, therefore, began with a promise, and it also involved the fulfillment of that promise in human history. Our faith is very historical. The gospel is historical. God promised to accomplish our salvation through the offspring of the woman, and He was also faithful to bring it about. The Scriptures tell this story to us. The Scriptures tell the story of God calling and preserving a people for Himself in the world. And it was through this people that the Christ eventually came to pay the price for our sins. Brothers and sisters, hear me now. There is no gospel of Jesus Christ apart from these genealogies. There simply is no gospel of Jesus Christ apart from these genealogies. I should probably remind you the way that Matthew began his gospel. Uh, the title of his work, the title of his book is The Gospel According to Matthew. And what are the first words in his gospel presentation? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, etc. And then we have a long list of names. Luke's gospel also has a genealogy at the heart of it. In Luke 3.23, we read, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as it was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, etc., etc. And there we have a long genealogy. I will say it again, there is no gospel of Jesus Christ apart from these genealogies, for God determined in eternity past to accomplish our Salvation, our redemption progressively in human history through the selection and preservation of an elect line through every generation up until the birth of Christ who would atone 
for the sins of his people by his shed blood. And what do we see here in Genesis 10 except the very earliest stages of the development of that story? There is so much that could be said about this passage, about this list of names, this table of nations as it is often called in Genesis 10. Some scholars have labored to identify each of these names in in these lists and and to identify them with known peoples and nations in the ancient world. Uh, Many of the names and peoples mentioned are known to us. They probably even sounded familiar to you. Even some of them did. Uh, Some are a bit more difficult to identify. And I think this is a very interesting and it's an important field of study, but it's not the focus of the sermon today. I will not be putting a map up on the screen showing you where all of the sons of Japheth and of Ham and of Shem settled in the world. It's important. It's an interesting field of study, but it's beyond the scope of this sermon today. Let me begin by making seven general and brief observations about this list of people, places, and nations before moving on to make three main points. So seven brief and general observations about this list and then three brief points, but main points to the sermon. One, notice that this list of names differs a bit from the lists of names that we encountered earlier in the book of Genesis. The earlier lists are appropriately called genealogies, for they clearly trace the descent from father to son. Take, for example, the genealogy beginning in Genesis 5.1, where we read, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And then that genealogy goes on from there. But there is this clear pattern. This man gave birth to this son at this age, and then at this age he died, and then that son gave birth to this son at this age. It's clearly a genealogy. But the language is different here in Genesis 10. It is less precise. This is not so much a genealogy but it is a table of nations. Uh, The point of the passage is to show where the nations of the earth came from after the days of of Noah. Two, notice that this passage is a continuation of what was said in Genesis 9.18. There we read, The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the peoples of the whole earth were dispersed. That was said to us in Genesis 9, 18 through 19. Now, that dispersion is described to us. It is set before us. We are told who exactly came from these three sons of Noah and where they ended up. The table of nations of Genesis 10 maps out the dispersion of the peoples of the earth descending from Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Three, we must remember that the book of Genesis was originally written not to us, but by Moses to ancient Israel after they had been redeemed from Egypt. This is so important to keep in mind. This book was originally written by Moses for ancient Israel after their redemption from Egypt. They'd been brought out of the land and they were given uh, the scriptures uh, from Moses. And so while it is difficult for you and I to recognize the names in the list, It's even difficult for me to pronounce them, as you saw. It's difficult for us to recognize these names. It's difficult, nearly impossible, I think, for us to visualize where in the world these people resided. It would not have been so difficult for the ancient Israelite 
they would have read that list. They would have heard it read. They would have been able to pronounce these names. I think they would have been able to say this is where they reside over here or over there mentally as they visualized a, a map of the world in their minds. Um, as they heard these names, they would have recognized them. They would have understand more, understood more clearly than do we the point that was being made by this table of nations. For notice the order in which the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth are listed. Uh, first, the descendants of Japheth are presented. Second, the descendants of Ham. And third, the descendants of Shem. Uh, you, you notice this is a different order than what we have encountered before when those uh, those sons of Noah have been mentioned in the past. It is either Shem, Ham, and Japheth, uh, or maybe Ham, Shem, and Japheth. But here it is Japheth, Ham, and then Shem. Uh, that is the order here in this table of nations. The ordering of these names makes sense only if we consider it from the perspective of ancient Old Covenant Israel and in the context of the overarching story of the history of redemption. Why this order? Well, the Japhethites are mentioned first. And the least detail is given concerning them because they were the people furthest removed from ancient Israel. So imagine being in their sandals, right? And imagine receiving this scripture from Moses. The Japheths, Japhethites were mentioned first. Their, their genealogy, their, their, their descendants are, are set before them because they are the peoples who are furthest removed. They were the peoples with whom the Israelites had least contact. They were the ends of the earth people. They were the coastland people. They were the people who were far off from the Israelite, from the Hebrew perspective. The Hamites are mentioned second and with much more detail because they were the peoples that Israel had the most contact with. And many of them were their enemies. Uh, consider verse 6 of Genesis 10. There we read the sons of Ham and then Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Of those four names, two are very familiar to us, Egypt and Canaan. And consider this, the Israelites had just been freed from Egypt and they were sojourning towards a land that God had promised to them. And what land was that, friends? They were to take possession of the land of Canaan, the land of the Canaanites. And so uh, these are listed second uh, because they are uh, the people with whom the Israelites were most familiar. Israel would have to drive the Canaanites out of the land and subdue them before occupying it. The Shemites are mentioned last because this is the line through whom the Hebrew people themselves would descend. These were God's chosen people under the Old Covenant. Uh, they come from Shem. Number five, remember that when Noah cursed Ham for his sin in the previous text, he did not curse Ham directly, but his son Canaan. Do you remember that feature of the text? Ham was the one who committed the wrong, but yet it was Canaan, the son of Ham, who was cursed. Now, after considering this table of nations, it should be clear to us why Noah cursed Canaan and not Ham. For not all who descended from Ham were cursed in this way, but only the Canaanites. Only the Canaanites. Noah said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers. And again, this must be considered from the perspective of the Israelite who had been redeemed from slavery in Egypt and who was sojourning toward the promised land occupied by the Canaanites. They were 
the enemies of Israel. They would need to be subdued and driven from the land and even taken into captivity. That will happen as the history of redemption unfolds. Six, it is significant that if all the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth are counted, the number comes to 70. If you were to take the time to count all of the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the number comes to 70. 70 is a number of completion in the scriptures. Uh, Clearly, this is not a complete and detailed genealogy of the sons of Noah, but this is a selective list, and the number 70 is meant to communicate the idea of completeness from the sons of Noah, the peoples of the whole earth were dispersed. 7. Special attention should be paid to the remarks that are made about certain individuals in this list. I'm sure you noticed this even as I read the text. Name after name after name after name, and then there would be a kind of pause. And focus would be directed upon a particular individual and what that individual was known for, what they did. Now, we are to pay special attention uh, to that emphasis. Take, for example, the remarks that are made about Nimrod in the line of Ham. Verse 8. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first of the earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar, and so on and so forth. We learn that, in fact, uh, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh and other cities. Uh, this statement uh, is, is meant to be focused upon, obviously. There is a break in the uh, simple um, listing of names, and we are told more about this figure and what he did and the cities that he uh, built. It's meant to catch our attention. And in brief, what does this communicate? It, It communicates that in the line of Ham, this line was characterized by mighty men, again, oppressive rulers who engaged in city building, not to the glory of God, but to the glory of man. This is, again, a characteristic of uh, what uh, those in the line of Ham were about. In particular, Nimrod was known for this. He was a mighty man. He was a city builder. But these cities that he built were not the city of God. They were cities devoted to the glory and to the pursuits of sinful man. It is very significant. Notice also that when we come to the line of Shem in verse 21... We read this, To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. Do you notice that there's this strange little emphasis there regarding the line of Shem? The the, the author, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to know from the outset that it is Shem who is the father of all the children of Eber. Why does he want us to know that? Why this inserted remark. It is highlighted and emphasized from the outset that Shem was the father of all the children of Eber because from Eber the Hebrew people would descend. They are the Hebrews, the Eberus. Uh, This is where their name comes from. They come from Eber and this is emphasized from the outset. Here is where God will bring His people from. From this line, from the line of Shem. Uh, Now, With those general remarks out of the way, I want to make three points concerning this table of nations in Genesis 10. And I will make these points, uh, and they will correspond with each of the three sons of Noah, uh, Japheth, 
Ham and Shem. Firstly, as we consider the Japhethites, I want it to be recognized and fully understood that God's plan from the beginning was to bring salvation to all the peoples of the earth. God's plan from the beginning was to bring salvation to all the peoples of the earth. This table of nations in Genesis 10 makes it clear that those who descended from Japheth were the ones who were far removed from Israel. They were the Gentile people, if we can use that terminology, and I think it is appropriate that, that we do. The people with whom Israel had least contact, contact, they were the Japhethites. But we must also remember the blessing that was pronounced upon the sons of Japheth in the previous passage. What did Noah say to Japheth? He said, may God enlarge Japheth. And let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. God's purpose from the beginning was to bless all of those nations, the nations of the earth, the far-off nations, through his chosen people, those who descended from Seth, the, the Hebrews, the Israelites. This was God's purpose from the very beginning. This will become even more clear in Genesis chapter 12. When God calls Abram, Abram being one of Shem's descendants, there we will read this very familiar passage and this very important passage. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And what did God promise to Abraham from the outset? He says, I will make you a great nation. How would that be fulfilled from Abraham, from Abram? The Hebrew people would come, that line would be continued, and the Israelite nation would descend from him according to the flesh. But God goes on to say, I will bless you and make your name great so that, do you hear those words in Genesis 12? So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you, notice the language, in you, think of The tents of Shem now. Abraham was a descendant of Shem. Think of the image of the tents of Shem. In you, Abraham, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Two things are communicated here in Genesis 12. One, God would make Abraham into a great nation. That would be fulfilled through the nation of Israel. And two, in Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a reiteration of the blessing pronounced upon Japheth earlier. To Japheth, Noah said, May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, which would become the tents of Abram in the course of time. This is the story of our redemption, brothers and sisters. It's important to notice God's purpose from the beginning was to save a people for Himself from every tongue, tribe, and nation. The Savior, when He did come, would be the Savior of the world and not of the Hebrews only. The Savior would defeat the evil one who plunged the world into sin and darkness. And the Savior would redeem the children not only of Abraham, according to the flesh, but the children of Adam, who was their father. He would save not only the Jews, but all the peoples of the earth. 
But this Savior would come into the world through one particular people, namely the Hebrew people. It would be through the Jewish people that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. This was God's design from the beginning. So much of the Old Testament scripture focuses in upon one particular people, the Hebrew people, that it would be easy to assume that God had as His supreme goal and original purpose the salvation of this people, the Jewish people. Uh, Really, from Genesis 12 through to the very end of the Old Testament, we find that everything is centered upon one nation, one particular group of people, the Israelite people. But do not forget that God's original design even prior to Genesis 12, even prior to the calling out of Abram from his father's land, was to bless the Japhethites in and through the Shemites. It is communicated so clearly here. God's design was to save all the peoples of the earth. Why am I emphasizing this so much right now? Does anyone know? (laughs) I'm not going to have you respond because I never have you respond. It would be awkward, I guess. But think about the teaching that is prevalent out there in the church today. It is counter to this. A lot of it is. Most churches, I find, uh, uh, preach and teach the Bible in such a way where it gives the impression that the Jews are the focus of it all. That God's design from the beginning was to save Israel. And that when Christ came and Israel rejected Jesus as the Christ, there entered this this parentheses of sorts, this plan B. Have you ever heard this teaching? It's called dispensationalism. I've ranted against it in previous sermon series. Through the book of Revelation I did often, speaking and preaching against dispensationalism. I think it's a dangerous teaching. I think it is a a fundamental misunderstanding of the story of the Bible. Here the Jewish people are made to be the, the focus of attention in an inappropriate way. Were they significant? Were they important? Should we honor them? Should we pray for them? Should we appreciate the fact that from them the Scriptures came and through them the Christ came? Uh, should we seek unity with those who are ethnic Jews in Christ Jesus? Of course, it's into them that we're grafted. But they are not the focus. God's design from the beginning was to save all the peoples of the earth The Japhethites were blessed, and they were to be blessed in the tents of Shem. When Abram was called by God, it was explicitly said to him, I'm going to make you a great nation, the Israelite nation, and in you and through you all the peoples of the earth shall be blessed. This is not plan B, the gospel going to the nations. This is plan A, clearly so. This is plan A. God does not have plan B's, brothers and sisters. He is sovereign over all. You and I truly live in an amazing time. For the gospel of Jesus Christ has gone to the farthest corners of the earth. The Christ has come. He atoned for sin by His death and resurrection. And the good news of salvation in His name has been preached in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But there are still some places where the gospel has never been preached. Can you believe that? There are still some places on this planet where the gospel has never been preached. There are some peoples, people groups, who have never heard that they are dead in their sins, but that God has provided a Savior, Christ Jesus our Lord. 
we must be diligent to send preachers to those far-off places to continue to fulfill God's original design, which was to bring salvation to the Japhethites through the Shemites, to the glory of His name. Secondly, as we consider the Hamites, let it be recognized that the impulse of fallen and sinful man has always been to build cities and kingdoms for themselves and for their own glory. This is what is emphasized as this table of nations focuses in upon the descendants of Ham. This impulse of sinful and fallen man to build cities and kingdoms for themselves and for their own glory. I have already mentioned the emphasis that is placed upon that man named Nimrod in the line of Ham. And it must be recognized that a theme continues to develop in the story of Scripture. I want you to see this so clearly because I think it is such an important and massive theme in the story of Scripture. God called Adam to build a city for the glory of God when he was there in the garden. That was his mandate. He was to expand the garden. He was to tend it. He was to keep it so that the worship of God might be promoted in that place. This was to be a culture fully devoted to God and to the glory of God. This was his task in the garden, to promote that, to spread it to the ends of the earth, and to keep it. The garden was a temple, it was a city and kingdom devoted entirely to the worship and service of God. Adam sinned when he rebelled against his maker and sought to do what? He sought to establish his own kingdom. This was the issue. Adam decided uh, to take this prerogative upon himself. He would, for himself, decide what was right and wrong, what was good and evil. He would be a god to himself, in other words. All of human history, therefore, can be viewed from this angle. There are those who belong to God who are concerned to live for His glory and for the advancement of His kingdom on earth. And there are those who belong to the evil one who are concerned to promote their own glory, to make a name for themselves, and to advance the kingdoms of this world. All of human history can be viewed from that vantage point. There is the kingdom of God and there is the kingdom of this world. Which one are you in? Which one are you seeking to build? And which one are you seeking to advance? I think that is the question. Remember that Cain and his son Enoch were of the world? Cain built a city, we were told. And what did he name it? He named it after himself, after his son Enoch, I think is the proper interpretation of it. He built a city, not to the glory of God, but for his own name and for his own purposes and pleasure. Lamech was a mighty man, and what did Lamech do as a king? He promoted his own purposes and played according to his own rules. He perverted justice. And there he is in the line of Cain. In the days leading up to the flood, powerful and tyrannical kings ruled on the earth, and we're told that they saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they choose, chose. What, what is described here, except these powerful rulers promoting their own kingdoms and living for their own pleasure according to their own rules, the earth was filled with corruption at that point, and the flood waters were sent upon them. And then we see that after the days of the flood, through the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, particularly through the descendants of Ham, this man Nimrod in the was born. And what did he do? But he built cities for his own glory and sought to advance the kingdoms of this world, independent of God. And what are we told here in this, geni in this, in this uh, table of nations? The beginning of Nimrod's kingdom was Babel. 
and in other cities are mentioned as well. Do you know your Bibles, brothers and sisters? What story will we encounter next? The story of the Tower of Babel. And what do we learn about the Tower of Babel? What was wrong with that activity? I don't want to ruin the sermon for next week. But what are those people doing? They're they're saying, okay, let's fight against this dispersion thing. Let's come together. Let's build for ourselves a city, a great tower to reach to heaven. had to do with the worship of false gods, by the way. And let us make a name for ourselves. Let us build this city independent from God. Let us build it for ourselves and according to our own rules. And there we are told that God was displeased with it and He dispersed them. This passage and that one do not contradict one another. This passage tells us the table of nations where all of these peoples uh, were dispersed too. But when we come to the story of the Tower of Babel, the same story is going to be retold, but we're going to be told why the peoples of the earth were dispersed as they were. Did you notice that in the days of Peleg, the earth was divided? Did you hear that remark in this genealogy? What does that mean? It was in his time that this Tower of Babel incident occurred to where these peoples were pushed out to the furthest ends of the earth because their languages were confused. But what was the spirit of the matter that caused this to happen? It was autonomous man saying, we will build a city for ourselves and for our own name. This conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of the world will be displayed most famously in this Genesis 11 uh, story of the Tower of Babel. Uh, Friends, there is nothing new under the sun. Even today, there are those who live for their own glory and pleasure and for the kingdoms of this world. And there are those who live for the glory and pleasure of God and for the advancement of His righteous kingdom. There is nothing new under the sun. This story of two kingdoms in the world has been uh, present uh, from the time of the fall. Uh, You are either in Christ's kingdom, in God's kingdom, or in the evil one's kingdom. There is no other option. You are either living for the one or for the other. The end of the one is death. The end of the one, the other, is, is life eternal. The line of Ham is characterized by the insatiable desire to establish kingdoms where man rules as supreme, independent of, and in constant rebellion against the God of heaven. Thirdly, as we consider the Sethites, let it be recognized that God, by His grace, determined to set a people apart for Himself as holy, and through them to provide a Savior. Remember the blessing pronounced upon Seth by Noah, Genesis 9.26, he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Excuse me, I should have said, remember the blessing pronounced upon Shem by Noah. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. From Shem, Eber would be born, and from Eber the Hebrews would descend. But notice that in this passage, the line of Shem is traced through Eber, and then through one of Eber's sons, Yoktan, in 1025. Do you see it there? And it should be noticed that Yoktan does not lead to Abram and to the Hebrews in this table of nations. He leads elsewhere. 
In chapter 11, we will find that the line of Shem is again traced through Eber, but this time through Eber's son Peleg in 1116, and from there to Terah, who was the father of Abram and the Hebrews. I think this is interesting. In this table of nations, we're told of the descendants of Eber, but things are taken through um, his, his other son, Yoktan. Uh, but the whole genealogy of, of Shem will be reiterated to us again in chapter 11, this time through Peleg and eventually to Terah and Abram. And so Seth's line is put before us twice, therefore, first in chapter 10 and again in chapter 11. Uh, the first does not lead to God's chosen people. The second genealogy does. Uh, remember that this was also true of Adam's genealogy when we encountered it earlier in the book of Genesis. The line of Cain was traced from Adam in Genesis 4. So Adam had two sons, Cain and then Abel. Cain killed Abel. Seth took his place. First, the line of Cain was described to us and it was filled with wickedness and godlessness. And then again, Adam's genealogy was presented, but this time through the line of his righteous son, Seth. The same thing happens here as it pertains to the descendants of Shem. It all goes to Eber, first through Yoktan, then through Peleg. From Peleg we are introduced to Terah, and finally Abram, setting us up for that very important passage in Genesis 12 regarding the calling of Abram from amongst the peoples of the earth. What is meant by all of this? Well, it shows that God, by His grace was faithful to preserve a people for Himself and the world and to set them apart as holy and through them to provide a Savior. This is the story of Scripture. This is a crucial aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Apart from these genealogies that we are here considering in this table of nations, there is no gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me make three points of application very briefly. What can we say to ourselves concerning of the line of Japheth. I think we need to see and, and, and firmly be settled in our minds that God's purpose has always been to save people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so I say to you, brothers and sisters, let us pray for the nations. Let us pray for those who have not yet heard the gospel. Let us pray for those who are active in this sort of ministry, going uh, to the far-off places from our perspective. Let us pray for their work, that they would have success, that they would have success in preaching uh, to those who have not yet heard, it is important for us to labor in our prayers uh, for the nations. Also, this thought occurred to me, brothers and sisters, isn't it not plain that racism has no place in Christ's church and amongst Christians when we read the Scriptures? Is it not plain uh, that God's desire being to save a people from Himself, from every tongue, tribe, and nation, how can a Christian ever be racist? Have you ever thought about that? It is such a contradiction. It is such an inconsistency. And so I think it needs to be said, uh, friends, let us have no racism at all in our hearts, but let us be concerned to proclaim Christ to all peoples who were made in the image of God. From the line of Ham, uh, let us recognize and beware of the spirit of the world, which is to build cities and kingdoms for the glory and honor of man and not for the glory of God. Uh, you know, that seems so just conceptual and out there, doesn't it? Oh yes, it is true. I guess I can consider human history from that vantage point, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. But I am asking you to apply this to your own heart. I'm asking you the question, what kingdom are you living for? Are you of the world? Or are you of Christ, living for His glory? Let us live for God's glory. 
May He be our only Lord and may He be our only King. And let us labor to promote His kingdom in the world around us. How do we do that except through the proclamation of the gospel? Through seeking to build up churches according to His word? By urging those who profess Christ to continue in Christ? By urging those who do not to come and to call Him Lord? I ask you this question, therefore. Who do you have influence over whom you might encourage? to walk with Christ and to live for the kingdom of God in this world and not for the worthless and temporary kingdoms of this world. Who do you have influence over? Perhaps it's your spouse. You can encourage them. Perhaps it's your children. Perhaps it's friends and families and co-workers. Say to them, Jesus is Lord. He is establishing a kingdom that will last forever. Store up treasures not here, but in, in that kingdom. Store up treasures in that kingdom, friend. Let us promote His kingdom in the world around us. And from the line of Shem, I would say this, let us marvel at the mercy and grace of God that He would call and keep a people for Himself so that through them He might provide salvation for the world. This is marvelous to consider what God has done in history. This is your spiritual heritage if you are in Christ. Have you thought of it that way? I know it's very uh, popular today to investigate your, your, uh, your physical genealogy, right? There are all of these services out there where you can submit some DNA or something like that uh, and find out who your ancestors are. It is intriguing. Who are my ancestors? But here I am saying this is your spiritual heritage if you are in Christ. I don't know if any of you are, are of Shem and Eber and Peleg and Abram, according to the flesh. I don't know. Maybe some of you are here. I don't know of any who are Hebrews and Jews, ethnically speaking, in our congregation. But this is your spiritual heritage. You are a child of Abraham if you have faith in Christ. And so we should take great interest in these things. Look at what God has done. Look how He has preserved this line And how we today are grafted into it and are benefiting from it. What a marvelous thing to consider. How merciful and gracious our God is. How faithful He is to bring about His promises. He is faithful to keep His promises. Thanks be to God for His faithfulness to call and to preserve His people in every generation. Let's bow together for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word which is so rich. We thank you that your word is inspired by you and it is true and that it is useful to us as your people. Lord, help us to engage even with these difficult portions of scripture, expecting to find something useful. God, help us to not only be diligent in our listening and our hearing of your word, but help us to be even more diligent in our application of it. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ and for myself also that our hearts would truly be devoted to your kingdom, to your glory. Lord, may we not be seduced by the the kingdoms of this world. May we be fully convinced that they are vain, that they are temporary, that they will come to nothing. Lord, help us to see your kingdom, the work that you are doing in the world, as substantial, something worth investing in. Help us to store up treasures in heaven. May our hearts be there, Lord. Above all, we pray that our love for you would be supreme and that we would live for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.